Howdy, Cowboys fans. It's a sad Monday here in the Plex. Mourning the loss of the last dance, last episode a little bit, but uh, kind of felt like sports were actually a thing for a minute, so that was nice. But it got us wondering here, what would a Cowboys last dance look like? Welcome back into About Them Cowboys, uh, your go-to podcast here on The Athletic for all things Cowboys talk. We keep it fair and balanced around here. And balanced meaning John brings good opinions, I bring bad ones, and KT keeps it fair right down the middle, never straying too far away from that straight and narrow path. I'm Kent Garrison, the producer, running the board back here, so to speak, and in the words of The Athletic's own Zach Berman, I'm excited for this podcast. And remember, you can follow along all of our coverage here at The Athletic by becoming a member of our community. Go to theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys, get 40% off. That rounds out to about three bucks a month, so think of it as less than half of what you pay for your kids to binge watch Disney Plus during the entire quarantine and dial up some of that great sports coverage over on The Athletic for yourself. It's theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. Get that subscription 40% off at that link. So now it's time to welcome in our panel. He was as invested in The Last Dance as he was covering the Cowboys, and that's saying a lot. He's the first person I'd interview if I was to make a documentary about the trying times of a sad Detroit Lions fan. It's Father John Bichotta. Hey, John. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to watch that documentary, but I would love to take part in that. But no, Last Dance, man. Amazing. I set the bar real high on that. Really high. And it's maybe it's because there were no other sports going on. Maybe just because it was awesome. But I mean, it's not without its flaws. But for 10 hours to take up five weekends. Flaws. Pretty oh, good I'm, stuff. I'm excited to hear your takes oh yeah there's a lot of flaws yeah no there's (laughs) definitely flaws in there it's a very pro michael jordan angle on this whole thing let's be honest this isn't that's true clear cut right down the middle wait hold on i don't want to get too far into this but oh you did 10 hours and you got michael jordan's kids for three minutes to just really talk about how like loud it got in utah and how they didn't get to go to the game like nothing about like how was it you know, having the like most famous, coolest father during the '90s, like none yeah. of that. Like, you know what? Uh, eh, there was some stuff left out. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you, when you hear, "Oh, they're doing ten hours on Michael Jordan," you're like, "Man, they're definitely going to cover everything." I feel like they could do ten more hours, <laughs> Michael Jordan, and well, you know, they do his whole Wizards career, his post playing career, more stuff with Nike. I feel like they just scratched the surface with that. And uh, I would be very invested in that. But, John, if they were to make a Detroit Lions documentary, I think there's only one you can make, like about Barry Sanders, right? Like that's that's pretty much the whole history of Detroit. Like if you're going to put something, of, you know, that appeals to a, a national wide audience, is that is that pretty much it? No, I think it would be – he would be a big part of it, but it would be just about how you go from being like this really good team and organization uh, up into like the 50s and even into the 60s a little bit and then how – the Ford family bought the team. And then ever since then, it just has completely fallen off and they only have mm-hmm. one playoff win, which is that one over the Cowboys in 91 ever since. So it would be, you know, it would be basically about the Ford family owning the team and how they just have been just terrible ever since. I mean, cause they won multiple championships in the fifties, but then the team was bought by the Fords and uh, it's been pretty laughable ever that since. It would not be a very uplifting documentary. <laughs> Here's how no, terrible there was the nothing- Lions are. Yeah, but I mean, there's nothing uplifting right. about Jerry. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Jerry, Barry, Barry Sanders Krause. is the only highlight that like people can be like, God, man, that right. guy was incredible, you know. But and, at the same time, though, yeah, like there was the greatness of Jordan. Obviously, is the uh, focus of this. But like a lot of people really like the Jerry Krause stuff behind the scenes. I mean, you need to have that's true some negative in there. It can't be just all positive. Yay! Look at this. We're look at the Patriots won six Super Bowls. Like you're going to want to know the behind the scenes and some of the you know bad stuff too. At least I don't know. That's how I feel. Back again. To guide this conversation as we talk some some Cowboys documentary stuff, it's Kevin KT Turner. He's the person I would interview if I was to do a documentary about either the Killers, the band, or the Polyphonic Spree. <laughs> oh, so, I'll take that. Yeah, so I would love to. If that take ever part happens. In that. They need to they need to call you up. Get KT from ninety seven one the Eagle, the rock station of Dallas's opinions on rock music. I would definitely do that. Definitely the biggest Polyphonic Spree fan I know. 
Yeah, probably. And, and I think the band knows that as well. And that's why they've got a restraining order. <laughs> yeah, on that's me, why they blocked uh, you on all social media accounts. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. It's like, I just don't understand. Why can't I be in the cult too? <laughs> We're all having fun singing and dancing. I, I am with John. I, I had some like criticisms, but what what outweighs the criticisms is just the basic understanding uh, that 10 hours of greatness doesn't get made if it has to feature Michael Jordan's wife and kids very much. Mm-hmm. Like he had just such he had so much control over you know how that story went. So there's a yeah. lot of things on it. Like my number one question, I know we're not going to get too too deep in this. We're going to talk about some cowboy scenarios. But uh, there was one point in that just a couple episodes ago where Gary Payton does kind of shut him down in the NBA Finals, and then Michael watches uh, you know a clip of it on the iPad and laughs like oh, he didn't shut me down. It's like actually he did like. He did shut you down a little bit. Yeah. You know, so like he was just in, in such denial about so much. About it's a, anyone it's being good at basketball but him, basically. It's an incredible – It's it's inc- and, I, and I don't come away like liking him less or anything. I just – it's an incredible look into the world of a guy who can't live a normal life and what that, uh, you know, kind of God complex can do to a person. But he had to live that way. It was It was almost necessary. Yep. Um, at least, at least I think it was almost necessary to to do what he did. Do you but, think uh, Jordan? Well, part of what made him so great was that he was so. Yeah, I don't want to say mean, but the fact that like he was so driven to be successful that he didn't really have time to to mess around. Do you, do you think he was? It was purely based on skill because obviously he was a great player. Yes. <laughs> or, or was like half of the reason they won, you know, maybe we won three championships based on skill alone. But do you think they win six because of his will and determination to win is, is well, puts him that much more over the top? You know, it, it, it takes both of them. You have to have yeah. that. But in that last episode, when um, the I can't remember the guy's name, he's the author that write that wrote Rare Air. And he's talking about how like Jordan's greatest attribute was his ability to be in the moment. Yeah, we can be in the moment, any of us, if, if, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can do that. You can't wake up and be 6'6 and do the stuff that he does, okay? I, I've played basketball my entire life. You know how hard it is to find somebody that's 6'6 or above that can just catch the ball, turn, and just lay it up mm-hmm. like a big guy. Mm-hmm. It's not that common to even find that. Generally, the taller you get, the less coordinated you are. To be as big as he is and the size that he is, the size that Scottie Pippen are, you're, it's such a rare thing that like you are able to be like that. Now, you can work hard and make yourself better, but your bottom line of you just getting hammered the night before and just showing up on the court while somebody's just been working hard, <laughs> you're still going to be the better player because you have you are just so talented. Like Michael Jordan, if, even if he didn't work hard, probably still would have been one of the NBA's best players. Now, he wouldn't have been the greatest player and he wouldn't have won six championships. But to act like it was like he was able to stay in the moment and he and he he. He took, he was any little slight that he had, he took it to heart and he worked really hard. Oh, really? That's all it takes? Wow. Well, I'll see you guys. I'm going to go in my backyard and go shoot around right now because I want it. Like, you have to have the talent to begin with. Like, I'm just, it's crazy. I know, I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, my, my point was like, he was obviously talented, but what made him the goat the most was, talented. was, oh, yeah. What made him the goat was his ability to lock in and, in crunch time. You know, like the fact that they and never a, a Michael Jordan NBA Finals never went to a Game Seven is incredible. His ability to finish is unlike anything anyone's ever seen. And yeah, yeah, like especially incredible. his clutch factor, I'll yes. definitely give him that. But guys like Michael Jordan and LeBron James, even if they're not clutch, they're still looked at as like MVPs, and they still win a ton of awards, and they're still you know billionaires and things like that. Now the clutch factor, which Michael certainly had, that takes you to the next level to where you're just like you know you're on that like Tiger Woods, like the rarest of rare top of you know Babe Ruth type, you know just the greatest that have ever played. Anything. I mean, Michael Jordan, obviously, you can compare him to anything. Like anybody that's the best at what they do, you can say, yeah, that guy's the greatest heart surgeon. But Michael Jordan's still probably better at playing basketball than that guy is at heart surgery. I mean, like sure. he is the best of the best and, and, and he deserves the credit for that. But to act like this guy just, he did a lot of push ups, got a lot of shots up in the driveway and he did, and he, and he practiced a lot. That's why he is who he is. Stop. The, please. Something that made me laugh is I think it came out after. I mean, I think the director said this or something. But the fact that he smoked six cigars a day, even <laughs> when he was playing, you know, you know awesome. that old picture of, of the, uh, 
the quarterback, I think it was from the Chiefs, back in like the first Super Bowl, like smoking yeah, at Lynn halftime. Dawson. Yeah, Lynn Dawson. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my God, that was so long ago. I can't believe athletes did that. And there's Michael Jordan, like 20 years ago, chain smoking cigars, where it's just like, gotta be worse for your lungs than a cigarette, right? And yeah. <laughs> all the time. And he can go out there and perform at that level and drink and stay up and gamble all night and drink and still go out there and win an NBA finals game. Like I feel like athletes now, especially guys like LeBron and, and all these guys, they're so into like, Oh, how am I, am I sleep patterns? Oh, give me my, (laughs) give me this protein injection and all, and all this, all this crap, you know, when all it really takes is like you said, John, you just got to be, the better than everybody and you can go do it, you know? And that's like well, what Rodman uh, was saying of, I can go be in WWE and then come back the next day and play in the NBA finals because that's who I am. That's what I do. You know, like I got to be me. If I'm not very, me, I'm not going to play well. A very common theme with a lot. I'm only going to speak on basketball. That's probably where I'm most knowledgeable, at least going back to younger and being around like some really good players. Um, one of the big common themes, with a lot of these guys is that, You'll, they'll be like six foot, six one as a sophomore in high school. And then as a junior or senior, they shoot up to like six eight. And that's like amazing because they don't lose the coordination. And they basically like uh, the prime example is, is Anthony Davis with the Lakers, like was like six foot, six two, was going to be a, a guard that was recruited by a lap and then shot up to like six eight, six nine. Like that is a significant advantage, you know, and that's not by anybody like, yeah, man, I just, you know, shot around in the backyard. I got more shots up than anybody else in the neighborhood. It's like, no, there's a lot of luck. I mean, I'm telling you right now to be the size of Scottie Pippen. There's it, it's not it's a less than a, a well, like a point zero zero one percent chance that you'd even be as athletic as him, much less be able to play basketball, because most guys that are as tall as Scottie mm-hmm. Pippen are going to be a little uncoordinated, like Sean Bradley or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, there you go. But at least he still made it to league. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking yeah, worse than that. I'm talking worse <laughs> than that. Guys that like can't even get the ball yeah. in turn without traveling. You know, I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, KT, I want to get into. Yeah. Maybe well, maybe what a little Cowboys last dance would look like. Yeah, so yeah, I think what we kind of did is we challenged each other to kind of come up with the stories that you would like to see, uh, you know, from from their time. I, I got a, a few. I think we all kind of compiled a list. Uh, do you want to start with uh, you, John? What you, well, first of all, Kent, you, you know, went back when you worked at DallasCowboys.com, you worked on some documentaries. Yeah. Which ones have yeah. you worked on? I did one in 2016 um, about Dak. Like right after he won the Rookie of the Year award, uh, we kind of rewound to his high school and college days and then talked about him getting drafted and what that whole process was like. Basically, you know, back into his family life. And then we followed him to Mississippi State because he went there. He basically went back for the first time since he had won and since he had become Dak Prescott, you know. And uh, it was just an interesting trip to to see the reaction of all the, the people because he completely transformed that town Starkville from nobodies into all of a sudden they're number one in the nation because of this guy, you know, and, and he's obviously a legend there, but you know, his, his mother passed away obviously when he was in college, he's very close to his family. So the documentary is called Dak Prescott, a family, family reunion. And, uh, so that was the first one I did. And then after that, I, I got the chance to do, you know, a little bit more freedom. And so I grew up in, um, Watching the Cowboys, obviously I was around for the 90s stuff, but I was a kid then. I was like, you know, seven when they were winning Super Bowls. So when I actually started becoming more interested in the game, it was in the, obviously the bad times. But uh, Bill Parcells coming in, they kind of changed changed the game for the Cowboys, turned the, turned the you know wheel in the right direction, so to speak. And and so I did one on on Parcells deciding to unretire and to become the Cow- Cowboys coach. And it's called Parcells Final Ride. I'll put the links to all these in the uh, in the show notes here if you guys want to check these out. And uh, so that one's really fun. Went down to Florida and talked to Coach Parcells and and unearthed a lot of really really interesting footage of him at practices, mic'd up back in the day, and and you know get to hear how he used to coach guys and his philosophy. A lot of incredible stories. Obviously, he's the best storyteller and. Jason Witten was was in the thing. Sean Payton, Coach Zimmer was in it. Uh, really interesting about him turning around the Cowboys from basically they went five and eleven for three years in a row, and then he took a Quincy Carter team to the playoffs. You know, <laughs> like that's where 
That's, that was kind of his impact on the on the organization. And then they never really looked back after that. They they were they were basically a winning organization again after he left. So that was fun. And then I did one last year on the transition from Jimmy Johnson to Barry Switzer. And basically it starts at 93 when Jimmy decides to leave, like why he left the Cowboys, uh, you know, sort of the controversy there, and then why Jerry ended up hiring Barry and that backstory. And then it's, it really goes through that Super Bowl uh, win in 1995, and it kind of ends there. So it's basically those – that that 93 94 95 time during the Cowboys and all that you know the Nike contract happened Deion Sanders came um a lot of controversial things happened but it was that was a fun one too and that one's on YouTube as well these are all on YouTube uh, that one's called Welcome to Switzerland so uh so yeah if you guys could not uh pick the, any of those topics it would, I would appreciate that cuz that would mean you're like yeah we need somebody to do it better than you though well, like <laughs> I want to see a real Bill Parcells documentary <laughs> well what if i said this cuz you said you did a Dak documentary i'll start first the number one that i had on my list is Dak Romo 2016 mm. from the decision to play Tony Rona or to play Tony Romo in that preseason game from uh, Kellen Moore hurting his ankle in training camp to Jamil Showers being on the roster, competing with Dak, uh, to that preseason game in L.A. where Dak does the touchdown pass and Michael Irvin's freaking out and, and talking about the sidelines. Everyone's pumped up for Dak. And Jerry has the comments about Dak. And then they go on the run. And then, you know, the Romo press conference. I mean, that whole story is fascinating to me and, and super tense at points. Like the rumors of Romo having a house party at the bye week and things like that that were always like very intriguing to me. Like uh, that that whole story seems like it would be great for for a two or three hour special, uh, if not more than that. Just because that that season was such a an awesome joyride, but it was also so tense uh, between a lot of the key figures of the organization at the time, between the Jones family, Jason uh, Garrett, and. And, you know, even even Witten and Dez, guys who had played, yeah. you know, their whole career with Tony. I mean, it was tough on a lot of people. And you can end it and have the clip of Romo coming out and playing well in Week 17 and throwing a touchdown pass. Like, all of that to me, that, that was number one on my list, the number one, you know, documentary I would like to see over the Cowboys. So if it was going to be like the last dance, it has to be something bigger. Obviously, the matchup perfect with the last dance is it would have to be about the entire 90s Cowboys because it just has so many, you know, similarities. What You know, like how they have the Reinsdorf and Krauss thing and then with not Krauss and Phil Jackson not getting along. I mean, that's the perfect Jimmy Johnson, you know, Jerry not getting along. But I just feel like so many people have talked about that, that it's kind of like how many stories are even out of there that haven't been told. And I'm sure there's there's plenty. But if we're looking at more like what KT said, more singular events like that, um, I can tell you right now, my my three that I came up with, I, don't, I feel very confident you guys aren't going to have because these are just kind of things that I've thought about myself that maybe they don't make great documentaries. But I think if you get the right people involved, these would be some of the most interesting ones. And so for number one for me, it would be a documentary about a gentleman named Roosevelt Riley, who is uh, <laughs> Jerry Jones's bodyguard. And wherever Jerry Jones is at, Roosevelt is there. And Roosevelt knows all the stories. He knows everything. He's just always there. And so not only would you get all these great behind the scenes, like Jerry Jones, cowboy stories, like he's in the locker room. He's always around, like owners meetings, whatever. But you'd also get a story about him. And, and I, I just thought about this because when you watch The Last Dance, I do think you could do a full episode, if not more, on just the guys that Michael Jordan had as his bodyguards. And they touched on it, obviously, towards the end of that series. But it's also interesting to find out about their lives and how different their lives are from normal people because basically you have to be on call at all times. Now, obviously, Jerry Jones is not Michael Jordan in terms of people always coming up and bothering him, whatever. But he certainly you know, needs somebody to be around him all the time like that. And I just think Roosevelt would just have the most amazing stories. Now, many have tried it, but, you know, to get that type of access, you're not going to give much stuff up. And that's why, for example, like a lot of, you know, you heard a little bit about Michael Jordan's bodyguards, but it wasn't a ton behind the scenes because you want to surround yourself with people like that that really are not going to be sharing your stories. You know, they're going to be people that keep everything, you know, in tight and, and don't tell you all the behind the scenes. But I feel like if you were able to do a story on him and he was had the freedom to, to share anything within reason, you know, um, 
I think that there, he would be a great person because he's seen so much stuff behind the scenes, the, you know, in the locker room when guys are screaming at each other after losses, things like that, training camp, during the seat, whatever. Jerry could be, you know, Jerry just lived in a restaurant and he couldn't stop complaining about how, you know, how, 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 how are we still with Jason Garrett as our head coach? We have to have, find something better, you know, like, like anything like that, like just a random story, stuff like that. He would have the best stuff, you know, if, if there was anything like that. Uh, he's going to be hard to get, though, but that would be my number one guy. Yeah, that that's really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually like, oh, I didn't have that on my list. I should have because that's yeah. very obvious. I mean, it seems like that you say it. That's a very obvious one. The How guys- many non-disclosures has Rosie signed, though? Like, there's no chance he <laughs> <laughs> he's got to. You're going to have to throw. I don't know, Jerry. It's not just a non non-disclosures. It could be like how how well is he compensated? That's what I'm saying. I'm sure, I'm sure Jerry well, pays you know? him millions of dollars to do exa- so he doesn't do exactly that and go make money off of just <laughs> seen over the years. And you know what's you know? the funny thing I find about like that job and like watching those uh, the Michael Jordan bodyguards and things like that is like a lot of people look at that and they're probably like, oh, what a cool job. You can just hang out with Michael all the time and party and have these good times. It's like, no, when you're in that position, you really can't. Like when everybody's partying and having a good time, you still have to kind of keep your wits about you because, you know, your job is to protect this person or at least keep people away from them. Or like, you know, if they do get in trouble and something happens, you're the one that has to take care of the situation. So it's like, yeah, it's probably fun to a certain extent, but I'm sure it's still a job. Absolutely. That's a great one, though. If Rosie was ever willing to to speak up, oh, my God. That guy could write a, a New York Times bestseller, and so could Emery, the guy that drives the cowboy bus. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Those guys, <laughs> I can't even imagine. They could write a, a, a New York Times bestseller on one season's worth of stories, I'm sure, <laughs> about what they've seen. There's no telling. There, I mean, I'm sure Rosie will take some of that stuff to the grave, though. That's for sure. Um, so if we're talking about, uh, you know, last dance level stuff, my number one was early 90s Cowboys. I'm with you. I, I think there's so much there. But, you know, you've got to – these guys have to be able to talk, uh, you know, honestly about this stuff. And there's a few guys that I think would. There's a few guys that I'm not sure if they would, you know. Uh, about, I don't know how much Jerry would say about Jimmy, to be honest with you. You know, um, I, I kind of know how he feels about him. It's, it's been pretty obvious. He still, they still kind of have angst toward each other. Um, I don't know if he'd be willing to say that for, for a documentary though. I, I would love it, but you know, I, I would like one that just kind of rewound the events and just pulled out footage from back in the day. What, you know, it doesn't have to be people throwing each other under the bus, or anything like that, uh, you know. The, the only thing that really stuck out to me in the Last Dance that was like that was the Isaiah Thomas Michael stuff. But that again, that, that's stuff that they already knew about each other. They already knew they hated each other. You know, it's just it's not. Um, I guess maybe opening up a fresh wound a little bit, but it's it's not telling anyone anything they didn't already know, right? So a lot of that '90s Cowboy stuff, to your point earlier, was you know it's, it is already out there, but I don't think it's out there at the scale of a nationally syndicated documentary that like everybody's watching. Like how many people have read that Jeff Perlman book? Like only like a really hardcore Cowboys fans know like about the white house, you know, and time's gone by too. And that right. helps, you know, like, I mean, I'm always blown away with how many people are just like watching this and be like, man, Michael Jordan was just so good. Yeah. Uh, it's not that long ago. We're not talking about freaking Ted Williams here. Of course. Like, how do you not remember this? Like, and it's amazing how many people don't. So the, yeah, that's why the nineties Cowboys fits in perfectly. With and this. The, the amount of just polarizing personalities on those teams is incredible. I mean, you've got Jerry and Jimmy and Barry Switzer, and then you've got Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, Charles Haley, Deion Sanders, uh, you know, Darren Woodson, Nate Newton. You've got all these incredible personalities on this one team. Like, I feel like that would be worth it alone, whether it's controversial or not, or, or telling you, know you something helps? you don't already know. It's just a nostalgia trip. It's like, gosh, these guys, they were just, they're unlike anything you've ever seen. You know what else helps is, is that when time goes by, the stories get crazier and grander, <laughs> and they become yeah. like, it's like, you know, because I'll tell you right now, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Um, don't really think, and I, hey, I, I wasn't there, I could be wrong. Don't really think five guys from the pizza shop came to the door and gave Michael Jordan a poison pizza in Utah. I'm sorry. I just don't believe that. Now, that makes for a great story, but I don't know that I necessarily believe that that's how it went down. And they're going off of one person's account of that. That's where I'm kind of like, 
Yeah. Maybe, maybe he had the flu. Maybe it sounds better like this, but uh, I, I thought that one was a little. Uh, it's hard for me to like completely say that that's exactly how it went down. Yeah. And I was like, "You ate it? You ate that pizza? Right. Like, right? Okay. There was rumors. And too, you're the only one. This... Nobody forgot... else had a slice. You were the only one. Yeah, you're the only one. Well, there was a, something I heard. I forgot who told me this, or I forgot where I read it, or took this information in. So I, I apologize, but. That the story goes that uh, MJ spit on the pizza so he could be the only one yeah. that would eat it. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, no, so that's insane. the director stole that story. Oh, which yeah. made me think, why didn't you put that in there? Yeah, right. It makes MJ look bad. I'm sure MJ didn't want it. Yeah. And MJ's like, no, yeah, no. There's a lot. I there guess are, from there... what he said, it's pretty common. Like he did that quite a bit. Like that was an MJ thing. I don't think. I don't think you. You could. I mean, I believe that he probably got food poisoning. I don't believe that the. <laughs> jazz fans would have poisoned him i mean what are the odds that they knew that they were taking a pizza to michael himself you know that that it wasn't to his his bro or it wasn't to some random person in the hotel unless they asked the freaking security guard hey is this pizza for michael jordan he's like yeah it's for michael jordan and then they brought it and then like that i could see that happening but how do you even poison a pizza you know well five guys are delivering my pizza then i'm probably not gonna eat it I don't know, like, man. It's Michael Jordan. You you would think like people are beating down the door everywhere he is trying to get trying to get an autograph or something. I wouldn't think it'd be that weird, but it, what's weird to me is that they would think that they would poison him purposefully. I just don't see that. I can see him getting food poisoning from a bad pepperoni, you know. But I don't see like them sabotaging. Like what? I mean, what if you kill the guy? I mean, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that like that. That is a possibility. And and what are the how are the odds you you know how to poison a pizza quickly enough between when he orders it and when you deliver it? Like they had to research how to how do you non lethally poison a pizza without it affecting the taste in any way to where the guy's gonna you know do you you put a little poo, put a little poo on there or something? I don't know what you do. You know, <laughs> like how do you how how would you even do that? Uh, that's that's a little suspicious as well, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I I mean, uh, some some of the stuff about the '90s cow, Cowboys, though. I mean, like speaking of poo, like Charles Haley taking a dump in a guy's car, like yeah. in, in his sunroof. Like, there's some stuff in there that that's in, in mind blowing. That would top the Last Dance in terms of drama and controversy. And what the hell is this? You know. Um, Maybe that's my biggest complaint with the last dance is, is well, two things. One, and we know, I know it's been said, it did jump around a lot, like back and forth between first year in '98, and then you're in '89, and then you're in '93, and then you're in '90. You know, it's it did kind of mm-hmm. jump around, uh, maybe a little more than I would have liked. I would have liked it to be a little more um, chronological, and maybe the last two episodes are all about the '98 season, and you just kind of build to that. Another thing is that I wish it had focused a little more on Michael instead of his whole team. You know, like like you said, um, you didn't get any of the family stuff. You didn't get didn't get really much of his personal life in there, which is fine. But um, you know, that's what, when I heard it was called the Last Dance and it was about the Bulls' final championship. I was like, oh man, we're gonna get a Rodman thing. We're gonna get Steve Kerr. We're gonna get Phil Jackson. All that stuff is gonna have to be included. You know, I would have rather it have been ten hours just about. Michael himself, you know. Yeah. Um, well, the the '90s Cowboys one would have to be the opposite of what yes, you wanted, because there wasn't one single player. Exactly. That the Cowboys could, one, I wanted it to be the whole team. But if you're telling me right. I get ten hours on Michael Jordan, I want it all ten hours on Michael Jordan. I don't need an hour. I, think, I feel on like Scottie they gave you Pippen. about. I, I feel like they gave you about eight and a half, though. Yeah, maybe. I don't hey, know. Have you guys read uh, the "Boys Will Be Boys"? Yeah, the Jeff that's what I was talking about. Jeff, Jeff Perlman. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's your there's your guide. I, real quickly, I've got one that I think you guys probably won't have on your list. I'm, I'm guessing, and maybe it's because my hometown is only Texas, about 40 minutes south of here. But I would like to do, see a documentary on why in the hell the Cowboys had training camp in Wichita Falls from 1998 <laughs> to oh. 2000. Now there's a lot here about Wichita Falls. First of all, the town's got about a hundred thousand people, and they were coming back from from they'd been doing training camp at Austin. So, you know, Austin, UT, probably a lot of college girls. So let's go to a place where the university is strangely called Midwestern State University. Uh, this is a town that doesn't have much. I mean, this town 
is pretty wild. Now they wanted, you know, the Cowboys really bad, and it might have been a money thing in the end. But think about how quick the, the league has changed to like safety. You know, over the last ten years, fifteen years, man, there's no reason teams should have been having training camp in 105 degree weather, and that's what it was. Because I would go there as a kid because it was 40 minutes away. You know, I remember going to practices every once in a while and being like, okay, this is miserable because it's so hot outside. That team, the, the Dallas Cowboys do not need to be in a town like Wichita Falls. No offense to Wichita Falls, who uh, uh, I personally love that town, but the Cowboys are way too big for Wichita Falls. I think there would be some amazing stories about what went on there. And I, I can tell you stories about strip clubs with one-legged girls. Oh, uh, man. The Michael Irvin, uh, uh, the, the the knife thing with uh, what's it uh, was it Everett, uh, Everett yeah Everett McIver, yep. yeah uh, I mean the scissors, not the knife thing, the scissors. There's so many great Wichita Falls stories that that would be debunked, and I think you'd get a lot of players talking about how bored and how hot it was too. So I, as one writer wrote when he was writing about this, I'll never forget this. As, as the guy was saying, it was one of those local writers in Wichita Falls. I remember reading this as a kid. And he was talking about the players are going to hang Jerry by the goalpost and they're going to tear his limbs off because it's so hot and it's such a crappy town. So I think that'd be a fun documentary. I man, I think there would be there, you know, not only about Wichita Falls. I think you just do training camp memories or stories or whatever, and just include all these crazy training camp moments in one one documentary. There's always a fight, you know. There's yeah, always a there's fight, like the Dez punching. Uh, What's his yeah. name? J.J. Wilcox or or no? It was a uh, who was it? Um, uh, the uh, it was a defensive back. It, I can't remember who the it Baylor was. was. It the Baylor kid? Ahmad Dixon? No, it was um, who's the corner? I'm thinking of. Um, he got let go. Um, gosh, it's gonna kill me. Um, it wasn't Claiborne. It wasn't Brandy Carr. I, I know who you're, I know you're talking about, but I just can't put it together here. Um, uh, it was oh Patman, Tyler Patman, Tyler Patman, That's Oklahoma State. Yeah. Yes, sir. He uh, oh man, that was an incredible fight. And there's some some great '90s, obviously some stories there when they were down in Austin, KT, like you had mentioned. Uh, you know, uh, you know Barry and Dale Dale Hansen getting into it is a is a training camp yeah. thing. I like I feel like just those three weeks there's just like so much pent-up energy and people are just always going at each other on on every level you know like you could definitely jump around to some the best of the best top 10 training camp moments for the cowboys <laughs> would be i would tune into that for sure because there's that'd be good you know what, what's the one uh, Dion riding the the um golf cart around like the porsche golf cart through practice a to uh wearing the biker's outfit on the uh on the on the stationary bike because parcells made him stay on a stationary bike to rehab and he protested it by dressing like lance armstrong and getting on the stationary <laughs> bike there's uh there's a lot man uh, i'm only scratching the surface there for sure that's a great one man training camp what about you john yeah, I'm uh, again. I'm going from a little bit different outside the box, just because I'm trying to get the same stories. I'm just trying to get them from different people because I just feel like the players have told their side of at least what they are willing to tell in a lot of these things. So I'm going for the uh, equipment staff, and the equipment staff doesn't talk to reporters uh, on the record. Like they'll talk to you obviously in the locker room and things like that, but um, they too, much like Roosevelt, are there for everything when they get in a, on the road. Uh, they go right to the stadium and start getting the locker room ready. They're at all these practices. They're the first, you know, they're the first group of people to get up and, and set everything up at training camp. And the reason why it makes it interesting is because guys like Bucky, Bucky Buchanan and Mike, McC Mike McCord are two guys that have been with them ever since the nineties Cowboys. Like, Bucky and Mike are like, like Mike is a guy that like I went back and I've watched the last week. I watched the last or all five of the Cowboys Super Bowl wins and those 90s wins. Mike's the one that's always the guy that if you remember watching the 90s Cowboys, remember Emmett kept every ball. Mike's the one that's putting it in the trunk. He's still there. The stories that these guys have, have must have from behind the scenes, like what guys are difficult to work with, what guys are like really great tippers, like just some of the stories I've heard about like things that like players have done for these guys. And then obviously the stories of people that are like these guys that don't appreciate them at all. 
all, but they make them do a million different things, whether it be to prepare their jerseys or do things like that. Like these guys have seen all the behind the scenes stories. So if you could get them on the record telling all this stuff, you'd get a lot of stories that like players haven't even shared and things like that. And again, two of these guys have been there throughout the nineties all the way till now. There has to be a million stories that they have to share. That's good. Yeah, that's no, no doubt about that, man. Think about all those games, too, like those outdoor games, too. I just think about how much uh, crap you'd have to go through with making these players happy all the time. And think about how much equipment's changed over time, too. Like, uh, you remember who was the player? It was Od- Odell Beckham fighting about his helmet. <laughs> It's like, oh man, I would have been a beating to be an equipment manager. It was, gotta, uh, uh, Ant- oh, it's Antonio, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. I was going to say Brown. Brown. <laughs> Antonio Brown. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, but man, what a beating it would be because you got a guy bitching about his helmet all game long or all day long. Yeah. And it's kind of like on you, you know? Like, uh, uh, the quarterback's chin strap won't snap. Uh, okay, well, you better fix that now. Like, uh, oh, he can't play for a play. Okay. Equipment guy, it's on you. I was a uh, well, and for a lot of teams, it might change. Like guys, there might be a lot of turnover. I, I specifically sure. thought about it for the Cowboys because there's like guys that have like been there for a long time. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Mike McCord and Bucky Buchanan. I would Mike and Buck. Let's make it happen. Come, come on, thirty thirty. Uh, that's a great one, John. Um, I've got a, I've got one that's kind of obscure. I don't think you could do ten parts on it, but I would certainly love to see a, a one hour special. On Dallas Cowboys running back, Herschel Walker doing ballet. Remember when he did ballet randomly? Such an odd, weird story. Like that was main main part of like his his um I don't know, routine right? to stay in shape was to do and he like actually performed in the Dallas ballet. It's such a weird story, and there's such a it's such crazy footage to see Herschel Walker back in his prime, like in a leot- like ballet leotard and ballet <laughs> shoes, like doing classic ballet. So that that would be a really fun one. Another running back related one. I'd love to see one on Marion Barber because he was such, you know, the barbarian. He was such a, I don't know, interesting skill player because the fact that his sole job was to, Ram people basically like a, like a battering ram and, and he's not in a good place right now. I don't know if you guys have seen or heard about him lately, but he is definitely down the, the road of CTE, I would think. And he is, you know, it it would obviously be a sad ending. I would feel like, you know, cause he, he basically put it all on the line, you know, for those couple of years and was great at what he did for a while, but I mean, he suffered greatly f- for that and to, to play the style of play that he did, where somebody like Emmett Smith can play and be the best to ever do it, but it was just style of running that made him uh, basically indestructible, right? So, yeah, that one would be would be a crazy one if we did one on the Barbarian. Um, I've got a couple more here. How many more do you guys have? Uh, I have one more. You got one more? Okay, I've got two more. So, Katie, why don't you go and I'll I'll do a couple more here in a little bit. Also, one thing that I thought, and I actually wrote this down initially, and then I went, oh, yeah, Amazon already did one on the 2017 season. Mm-hmm. But it would be interesting to see kind of more of the ins and outs of what was going on and the team being kind of distracted by Zeke and the anthem. It was just a year full of it, uh, distractions, and then you had the Chaz Green game. But the one that I would do, and I know it's a little dark, but I, I still think it would be interesting, and I'd like to hear you know some of the behind-the-scenes footage, kind of everything that happened with Josh Brent and the car wreck he was in, how the team went to Cincinnati. Everyone talks about it being one of Jason Garrett's, you know, shining moments as a head coach to kind of keep that team together. And then, you know, you know, Josh Brent trying to kind of repair his life after what he went through, you know, was he when he was in that accident that ended up, you know, killing his teammate Jerry Brown. I think that would be, even though it's a little sad, I do think that would be a very fascinating one to see. Um, you know, watching a guy just try to you – know, basically rehab his life and uh but also kind of what was what the team was going through that week you know going to cincinnati after that happened uh, over the weekend i guess that happened on a friday night saturday morning you know and they played in cincinnati that sunday so i think that would be one but again i know that wouldn't be uh some chippy one but uh it, it would be one that would like to would like to see still 
Yeah, absolutely. An- uh, another one I was going to say real quick, Kent, was uh, uh, something on uh, all of Emmett Smith's uh, memorabilia. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, he kept every single one of his touchdown balls. And so obviously that's a lot. Like, where are all these? And so I was <laughs> watching one of those episodes on ESPN. This had to be two or three weeks ago when they were just running all day long on like a Saturday or Sunday. All those Peyton's places where it was like all those episodes about different things. Peyton Manning went and well, he went and one of the I think it was about it must have been just about the running backs and the impact they have on the game today. And he met up with Emmett and Emmett took him to basically it's just like a storage facility like that you would have if you had stuff that you wanted to put in like a, you know, in, into a locker like at, at, a, at a storage facility somewhere, not on his property. It just looked like it was a, like at some random place. And he has so much stuff in there. And he was just showing some of it off, like just random like old helmets and stuff like that from Barry Sanders and other players that he had traded with, because I guess that's something you always used to do back in the day at the Pro Bowl. And then he has all those touchdown balls and they're all like marked and like when what game they're from and all that. So not only would you get to see all the memorabilia, but like Emmett has all these stories that go with all of this stuff. And I just think it would be interesting because I remember that was a thing as a kid where I was just like, this guy keeps everything. And at the time, like even if you watch in those Super Bowls, like they talk about when he after he scores a touchdown that I guess he had a, a sports memorabilia shop in Pensacola, like back in his hometown. I don't know if it's still there or not, but like he was basically because of that, that's what made him like kind of a collector in his mind. So he was saving all of this stuff and he must have like just... I don't know, like just more than any other player I would think that's played in the last, you know, 30, 40 years. And so uh, I just think it would be fascinating because if you get him to take you in there and then tell you a bunch of stories about where a lot of this stuff came from, I think it'd be kind of interesting. Obviously, not no 10 part documentary, but if it was part of a Cowboys documentary, it certainly could take up at least an hour episode. Gosh, that would be great. I would love I would love to just hear him tell the stories. You know, you don't even have to show the footage. Just show him in a room. And you just bring him like Antiques Roadshow, you know, just bring him, right. bring him in and say, hey, <laughs> and, what's yeah. this? And in the, in the Peyton Manning one, he says, this, this is a helmet Barry Sanders gave to me. He's the best running back I ever saw. Like, that's the yeah. only time I've ever heard Emmett say something like that. So it's like when you get those, it's not really about the memorabilia as much as like the memorabilia brings back the story. And then that gets you kind of talking about, oh, yeah, so-and-so, you know, remember this happened, whatever. So the memorabilia, memorabilia is cool. And people look at it and be like, oh, that's pretty sweet that he has that helmet or whatever. But it's like there's going to be stories that come with it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That'd be, that'd be really good. That's a great, great one, man. I wonder what the value of all that stuff is, <laughs> you know. That's priceless. Yeah. Hey, man. can you imagine? Hey, remember those shows that were like really popular? Like, I don't know if it wasn't called Pickers, but it was that one where like they would go to those storage facilities and like storage wars. somebody like store. Yeah. yeah. And they would like literally you couldn't walk in, but you could just look around the thing from the outside and then you just would bid on him. Can you imagine if you pulled that thing? Because like he whatever Forgot he didn't he lapsed the rent on it or whatever. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then you get like all this gear like crazy. Oh, my gosh. There's got to be there's got to be an undisclosed location. I'm sure it's in Dallas somewhere. It's got to, it's, yeah, you would think it'd be, be it's on Jerry's Texas. boat. <laughs> the Bravo Eugenia. Hey, we need a we need a tin parter on the Bravo Eugenia. That's what we need. Um, I'll be into that. <laughs> it's on a, uh, this one could be a long one. Uh, a tin parter. Uh, the career of Tony Romo, from mm-hmm. undrafted free agent to like you said, KT. The last is maybe him throwing his final touchdown to Terrence Williams. In that Philadelphia game, and he kind of goes out on that on that on that note. Um, I would love that. There's so much there, you know, having to sit behind those guys, having to prove himself, playing for Parcells. Uh, once he finally gets in there, he's becomes immediately the star. He's dating celebrities. They're going to Cabo. There's so much there. I feel like, and he was such a well, polarizing he, player. Here's the other thing, like. Not right now, obviously, but let's say you go down the line 10 years from now, 15 years from now. It could be, a, it could be such a great story too, because what if his broadcasting career like overlaps to where like he becomes like John Madden to where that's what people know him for. Like, you know how many people like over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years know John Madden for his broadcasting and his video game more than they know of him being a legendary football coach, you know, um, like what if he continues to go on this path that he's on right now and it's like 20 years from now, 15 years from now, people are like, oh yeah, no, I I know he played for the Cowboys, but like all that stuff's a distant memory. It's all about like how, yeah, he calls all the big games. That's how I know who Tony Romo is. A lot of, you know, like same with Ahmad Rashad. You would never even have known right. he was an athlete than uh, more than like what real, oh, real his claim TV to fame now. Yeah, his claim to fame, it used to be for me, it was watching inside stuff as a kid. Uh, but his claim to fame now is that he's Michael Jordan's best friend. Right. I mean, yeah, he's right? in every, every <laughs> time you turn your head, he's standing right there. Oh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's coming to the locker room. Oh, here comes Ahmad. He's like standing right there in all those shots of I everything. Was like, 
I was like, how is this allowed? Because uh, he was you know, <laughs> doing sidelines too, you know? 100%. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. It's like, every you know, sport. NFL, like, is Doris NBA? Burke hanging out with these teams? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure they're tight. And I, mean, I, I get they're cool. Like, I understand that. But, like, hanging out in the locker room and just – you know, shooting the ass with a guy before. But like, look at when he wanted insane. to talk about the gambling. Went he went and grabbed a mod, and he's like, "A mod, go get a camera or whatever." Like, so that was his guy. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that are right covering, you know, LeBron right now. That you know, it's because they have a good relationship with LeBron. It obviously helps the situation if you have like, if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, and it's the greatest athlete of our generation. That's a good person to kind of link up with. Yeah. I'm sure you're. I'm sure the sure. company is going to be just fine with you. Like, if you're always getting all the inside information and all the like marquee interviews. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. There were some years in there that, uh, you know, obviously the, the missed snap in Seattle, you know, was a big deal. And, 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 you know, the 2013, when he gets hurt right at the end and Kyle Orton has to come save the season and doesn't, uh, you know, 2014, obviously with the Des catch, non catch, like they were so close. You know, maybe that's like what it's called is like, so close, but but not quite there. You know, that was his entire yeah. career. Basically, they were on the verge and never really, never got there. You know, and and you, you know, he he's a story too that like that fits a lot more with that narr- that narrative that some of those guys were trying to spin on the Jordan documentary, where it's like that's a guy that yeah he has he has some God given athletic ability that you know that he was born with and and he helped cultivate it, but being where he came from, that's a way more believable story of how it's just like, yeah, he just got so obsessed with it. He was just throwing all the time. It didn't matter where, like he just became obsessed with, it. he had to get better. You know, that's why he, you know, he was a guy that wasn't really highly recruited. He went to Eastern Illinois. Like that's far more believable than like Michael Jordan was like the man from the minute he, he like, he grew to be whatever it was six, four, six, five in Cal or in high school. He was the man of senior year. Like, yeah, he got cut from his high school team. Yeah. That was like as a sophomore or freshman to make varsity, but like by his senior year, he was like the best player in the country. McDonald's all American. He obviously made a huge play. Like he was a huge part of their national title team. His freshman year, he was one of the best, if not the best college players the next two years. Like there's not a lot of like, man, Michael just wanted it more. I just don't buy it like that. But with the Romo story, now that fits for sure. I mean, Eastern Illinois, you know, small town, like, you know, just north of Chicago and stuff like that to like get to the level that he got to, to play for, you know, be the quarterback of America's team and now be this guy that people know because he's such a famous broadcaster on top of that. Like, yeah, no, that's, that's, that would be a great documentary. Yeah. I remember when, when CBS producer Lance Barrow, um, who actually gave me my first intern job in, in this business, uh, back in, back in high school, uh, he was the, he was Romo's producer and, you know, Jim Nance worked with Jim Nance and Phil Sims for all those years covered with that team. I don't, I think he only does golf now, but, um, he was the one who hired Tony. And I remember when they hired Tony at, at the initial conference call or whatever, he said that I'm telling you, like, this guy could be the next John Madden. And everybody just laughed in his face. Like, like, well, how would you let the guy call an effing game first before you calling him John Madden? And like now, I think like he could maybe be the next John Madden, you know. Like I don't think that was such a crazy thing to say. Maybe back then, maybe he had it's the kind vision of wild to at that time. That. It's a little wild at that time. Maybe at that time, nobody, but like he clearly saw that, something that was like this guy is better than your average. I mean, this guy. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like Tony Romo didn't think he was going to have as much success that he's had. You know, nobody that's been around mm-hmm. him. Like you know, even when I talked to guys, like you know Todd Archer has been around. Like from you know David Moore, guys that have been covering the team from when like Romo was you know undrafted guy or whatever like that. Like none of these guys were like, yeah, when his career's over, man, like he's really going to be like. I can tell you, Kent, I guarantee you that you'll agree with me on this guy. Like somebody that I thought would have success on TV from just being Jason in the locker Whitten. room. Well, that's a good one, but I was going to say Marcus Spears too. Oh yeah, you know, like he just yeah. was like very, very approachable, and he get in great detail and stuff like that. The reason we, I, at least me, once that I started covering the Cowboys in 2011, it just like Tony was already to that star level where he was going to give you stuff, but he didn't need to give you the extra, like you know he's obviously doing now calling these games. So it was hard for me to, I, I didn't think he would have as much success. Like I thought maybe eventually, but I didn't think it would be right away. Like just boom, just you know, he's predicting plays. Like this yeah. is the best thing we've ever seen. He was a an IQ football IQ was just off the charts. Um, I mean, for sure. I've got a, from when I worked at the Cowboys, I've got a clip that was like, we did a helmet cam with T- Tony Romo one time where we, where we put like a, literally a helmet cam on his thing during, um, during practice at training camp one year. And I had the entire clip of that unedited where it's just Romo talking to Linehan about the offense, you know? And I swear you won't understand 
two words these guys are saying because it's so dense and there's so many terms and and they're just talking about it like it's like an average day, you know, and you're watching it yeah. like, God, these guys, the amount of stuff that they have to know to be a quarterback in the NFL at that level is just, it boggles the mind. And I mean, I, I, you know, just to defend Lance Bear a little bit, I think, you know, they did test broadcasts with him and maybe he, he saw that early and said, gosh, this guy is, I'm willing to fire Phil Sims, who is well-established to put this guy in there. Cause I believe that strongly that he's going to be great at his job. And now he's the what, highest paid color analyst in um in broadcasting you know highest paid yeah analyst now so i mean that's incredible i think you added the the golf component in, in, into yeah. that as well is very interesting to me too because i think he's a guy that if he made it or he even was even close to making it or it was like a serious thing i think he would quit his broadcasting job very quickly to go do the golf thing yes because like that competition thing is is real and um, apparently he was a great and, basketball player too like he said he could have uh, really you know, balled out in, in basketball if he had concentrated on that more in high school than in, in um than football. I mean, he, he yeah, wasn't at that the end tall. Of the day, what was he going to be? He wasn't going to be an NBA no, player. No, I mean, so but maybe he could have been a good college college basketball player. You know? Oh yeah, no, that for sure. I mean, he was all. I don't know if it was all state or all county, but I know he was on the same like first team with Karan Butler. Mm-hmm. That's like a pretty popular picture with them standing next to each other. So yeah, for sure. But I mean, there's no question he had a better chance of making it professionally. uh as an NFL player, even though at that time, it, you know, when he was going to Eastern Illinois, he probably didn't think that that yeah, was, that's what I was realistic say, then either. You would have never, I mean, if you had told Tony Romo when he was a junior or senior in high school, hey, you're going to play for the Dallas Cowboys for a decade and be a borderline Ring of Honor Hall of Famer and be the number one announcer on CBS Sports, he would have punched you in the face. He would have not believed you at all. He probably would have said that's more believable than yeah, anything he's NBA. in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro- <laughs> no, he probably would have said that golf was probably the most likely if he was going to pick one. Yeah, that yeah was the most for likely. sure. I wonder yeah. how much better he is than, than I was thinking of this when I was watching The Last Dance. I wonder how much better he is of, of, of Michael Jordan, and I'm sure that they have golfed together. I wonder like what the bets got up to. Because oh, Mike, I mean, yeah. Jordan always wants it to be wherever you know. I've, you've heard those stories about, hey, whatever makes you uncomfortable, that's where he wants to bet at, you know. And so, Jeez. obviously, with a guy like Tony Romo's got, he's a good golfer and he's got money. So I wonder, like, how crazy uh, some of those guys. Because Tony's good friends with Tiger, and then uh, Michael Jordan is really tight friends with Tiger Woods. They live, I guess, pretty close. They both live in Florida, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so they're really close. And so I would think that somewhere their paths crossed, you know. Jeez, on the golf uh, course. What I would not give to be a f- fly on the wall during a, a Romo MJ Tiger <laughs> round of golf. Just the a caddy, caddy just yeah. going, "Hey, what are the bets here?" Gosh, oh my god, this five is, million dollars are all on this hole. The stories, <laughs> man. man I, you know, the, MJ had a lot of great stories in the Last Dance, but can't even imagine the stories that he tells his bros when he's smoking yeah. cigars on his patio in florida you know just his insane. security guards all know oh sure yeah one <laughs> last boys the last one i had on my list was this is maybe a controversial one but I've, I've always been interested in the fact that jerry went out and signed terrell owens and this this the most hated player in cowboys history essentially for <laughs> what he did you know, it stood on the star, disrespected it, you know, knocked it off, knocked off by George Teague. And then Emmett runs out there and slams the ball down. I mean, I vividly remember watching that game thinking like, F this guy, get him out of here forever, ban him from the stadium, all this kind of stuff. And the fact that Jerry signs the guy <laughs> just to spite the Eagles. And, uh, you know, obviously he knew what kind of player Terrell Owens was, but, and you needed weapons for Tony Romo, but that still blows my mind that that guy, that ran out there and slammed the ball on the star and stood on the star and did all this stuff in Texas stadium, ended up playing for your team and being a really good player for your team too, and contributing at a really high level in some of the most pivotal years in Tony Romo's career, arguably, you know, 2007, maybe the, the closest they ever got to, to getting to a Super Bowl. Um, if you don't count like 2014 and, um, in terms of just regular season record and, and expectation and all that, I mean, great player, but it just still blows my mind that Terrell ever was in in uh, in Dallas, and obviously there's the story with the accidental overdose, and then the um, get your popcorn ready. There, you know, the breaking up of the locker room, the controversy with Romo and Jason Garrett and Witten, and all that kind of stuff is in there. So I feel like that would be a really 
interesting doc of, of controversial, you know, like people didn't agree with the decision and just sure. kind of how that played out, I think would be really interesting to dive into. And T.O. is a really polarizing guy too. Even even if it wasn't just T.O., I mean, you could also tie him into a little bigger documentary and just Jerry's era of being the owner and general manager and on his big like risk moves like that, whether it's Dion, Charles Haley, like some of those, those pan out, but like how many of them don't like Greg Hardy and you know, the trade for Roy Williams with the lions and Joey Galloway. Like he's made so many big time moves like that, that like you could certainly do something on just all of those and break down like how many of these actually even panned out and worked out and how many of these were a huge mistake, you know? 100%. Yeah. I, I feel like Terrell, I would love to hear him hear uh, tell that side of the story, his side of the story. You know, I mean, I'm sure he said it, but like in a sure. in a really extended way, and and having uh, the old coaches weigh into, you know, um, Parcells obviously didn't want him at all, and he called him the player, like he wouldn't even call him Terrell <laughs> like, to to his face or anything like that. So I I just love stories like that where you know people are at odds with each other, but they have to kind of come together to to reach a common goal, you know, like, Oh, so basically the last dance. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. That's what we're doing here. I, I don't think it would be a, any kind of long form thing, but, uh, you know, it's certainly an hour on T.O. wearing the star would be, be very interesting. And the fact that like he left the, the Cowboys, you know, obviously he went to the bills and the, the Bengals after that flamed out, tried out for the Seahawks, I believe, but didn't make the team in 2012. But, he is somebody who stayed in Dallas and like played for that indoor team, like fully thinking that he was going to go ball out for some indoor team and make it back onto the Cowboys. <laughs> like he's still trying to make it back onto the team years after he was cut, like fully confident that like he wanted to be a Cowboy so bad and to finish his career in Dallas and be this ring of honor guy and to, for the Cowboys not to, really acknowledge him when he made, finally made it to the hall of fame. He was really slighted at that, at that too, you know? So just his love for this team is incredible. Knowing that the fact that he was the most disrespectful player to ever play against the Cowboys and uh, yeah. the display he did. The death story has a lot of angles too. Mm. just going from his childhood to everything. I mean, rumors of a death tape, the catch getting cut, you know, feeling like a guy kind of, Poured his heart and soul out for the franchise, getting cut and, and and just kind of everything that even his post career going to the Saints, tearing his Achilles, and still kind of putting out vibes that he wants to return, but no one really you know seems to be willing to give him a chance and a, a popping up on hard knocks randomly, but also you know before all that you kind of cover all the, the great times and the greatness of him. Setting the record for most touchdown passes caught by anyone on the franchise. I think the death story is documentary yeah. worthy for sure. Throw up the X. That's what it could be so called. There's a lot there. Tech. And you could add the, the Randy Moss component to that. You know, Cowboys not you know not wanting to do what they did with Randy Moss passing on a guy who might have some troubles. You know. Uh, yes. Yeah. Pretty pretty good story there. I, I was I was looking around. Man, there's not. Um, not a, not a ton new when it comes to the DAC contract. So, you know, kind of where I'm at on that, if you guys are okay, let's just, you know, if something happens, we'll pop in. We'll do an, we'll do an episode. But yeah. there's really nothing more to know. I mean, you just kind of – kind of if there's not any new news, what's the point in talking about this thing we've been talking about for what feels like uh, – well, it feels like years, but it's really just, you know, months. So uh, you guys okay with that? You guys – agree with me on that yeah i mean the longer they wait the more i feel like that july 15th deadline is going to be when things heat up you know yep. and maybe they don't maybe he just plays under the franchise tag for the upcoming season you know there's uh there's still a lot of moving parts there i, I would be very surprised if just all of a sudden one day in the next couple of weeks uh a deal gets done i'd be really surprised but as we get closer to july and that deadline approaches you know uh and another factor is obviously like, what is football looking like? Are, you know, are they still doing, uh, you know, WebEx interviews and or, uh training camp, things like that? Or are they actually getting to meet together and are they playing? Does it look like they're going to have a training camp? I mean, I think all of this stuff factors in too, um, because, you know, if there was all that normal stuff, then there's leverage for Dak by holding out and not showing up to those things. But as long as they're doing everything via the web and phone calls and stuff like that, you know, I, I just don't think that, 
it's really there's a lot of leverage there if he's not taking part in those. So I don't know. We'll see. But that July 15th deadline, I don't know, just following what the Cowboys have done, at least since I've covered the team, that seems like the date to uh, to be aware of in, in terms of some serious movement. And there could be even at that time and they still don't get anything done. But I would say that would be yeah. the time when some side gets, you know, an offer heats up a little bit, you know. And today, uh, we're recording this on May 18th. The, the governor, Greg Abbott, did say pro sports in Texas can return without fans on May 31st. I know that's not terribly important uh, to the conversation. I, I, I do want to say I feel more confident you know, than maybe I did two, three, four weeks ago about football happening. And I know I've, in past episodes, if you'd like to go listen to our past, uh, past episodes, please do that uh, here on The Athletic. I know I've kind of seen maybe a little skeptical of being able to play football, but there's been some uh, a few thing a few developments. One, you know, obviously tons of companies putting a lot of money and investment into trying to get a vaccine as soon as possible. Now I, I'm pretty optimistic, not that it would be there for the public, but for what would be deemed you know essential emergency vaccines, but also for you know very important economical you know places would would probably have access to those vaccines. I, I am fairly confident of kind of getting something in the mix by September. Now, to the public, probably wouldn't happen until 2021, but I do think we're making a little traction on there in terms of uh, there's a couple companies that have already, you know, running some tests and are about to uh, increase their testing size in terms of giving people these vaccines. There, there's one, uh, the Moderna company has basically, you know, seen – uh, a vaccine that they've tested on about 45 people to show that, yeah, it does uh, have the give you the antibodies to fight off the coronavirus. So I do think I, I'm a little more optimistic than maybe I was two, three, four weeks ago. And hopefully I'm way more optimistic next week uh, or, or on the next episode. But, um, yeah. you know, it, it is kind of funny. Like we're kind of talking about all these things. We're talking about football and getting a contract done. And we just got off the draft. And you think about, I mean, normally there's OTAs and mini camps going on, and that's just not happening this year. And you know, I, I think uh, Jerry's uh, the way they've always gone, gone with you know deadlines to make deals. I think you're right, man. I think July, the first couple of weeks of July, maybe they get something done um, with Dak, and you know, we'll talk about it whenever it happens. Hey, if it happens tomorrow, we'll be back for another episode. Uh, you guys have anything else? Anything we need to promote? Anything we need to to hit on before we get out of here? Bob Sturm's got a great piece up right now that I think's rolling out this week, which we're calling Garrett Week here on The Athletic, the end of the Garrett era officially. And he's got uh, a great piece on the the worst of the worst Jason Garrett moments. <laughs> so if you want to, you know, the most fireable moments, I think, is they're putting it. So if you want to remember when he iced his own kicker and things like that, um, <laughs> go read Bob's piece. It's really entertaining <laughs> stuff. And thank, kind of thank God that guy is gone we don't have to keep speculating on could this be the year that jason garrett gets fired guys remember that for the past uh, decade literally every year i did a radio i forgot i did a radio hit in new york some station in new york reached out to me uh and they just wanted to talk cowboys but we ended up talking about jason garrett the whole time and i was like guys you guys are gonna love him you guys are gonna fall in love with the guy uh but you're also gonna be mad you're gonna be mad at him sometimes too you so, heard the yeah. thing about. I don't know if he's going to have that big of an like an impact like he had here, just because, like when he was the OC, like he's going to be there. Like, I mean, you just he wasn't he wasn't going to the podium. You really didn't have to hear from him. Like he wasn't making a lot of the big decisions. Like it's way different if he's the head coach. So it's like I don't see them like like if they have some poor decisions in their games and and or the offense whatever. Like he'll get some blame, but it's going to ultimately come down on Joe Judge. So I don't even think that the Giants. Like, depending on what happens with their offense, let's say he's their offensive coordinator the next four or five years. I don't even think that they would get to a point where they would dislike him like some Cowboys fans do who wanted to move on five years ago from him because he was the difference between being a head coach and the OC. If he was their head coach, oh, yeah, no, that would be wild. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, but if you've got Saquon Barkley and you suck, like if they take a step back, then I think his head's going to roll pretty soon. But what if he has Saquon Barkley and Saquon Barkley's getting rushing titles like, yeah, like then, Ezekiel then be was, and they're like solid, yeah. but they, you also know, yeah, but we're probably never going to compete for like actually win or, or compete for a serious chance of winning a Super Bowl or be, even playing uh, in a Super Bowl, you know? Yeah. But like, I could see the numbers being decent. I mean, there were some good offenses over the last decade here, but 
that didn't lead to what people ultimately want, and that's a Super Bowl. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I could see him. I mean, he's had three rushing the same, uh, <laughs> Offensive philosophy that he had in in Dallas. You know, they did draft a, gotta, they drafted a tackle at, with the fourth fifth pick, didn't they? So build that yeah. offensive line and just run, run, it, run, 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 run it right at you with a great running back. I, and I can't absolutely fault him though. I mean, there's. It's pretty obvious that that's, that's their, their best, best player, asset. Saquon yeah. Barkley. I mean, like, why, why not build around that and give him the best chance to win games for you? You know, and then put it in a spot where you know Daniel Jones doesn't have to do too much. He can kind of just be a game manager, and you just build the offense around. Hey, Saquon, you know you're going to be the guy, and I'm sure Saquon wants to do that. I just, I know the Cowboys fans can't stand my, uh, uh, not Saquon Barkley, but uh, Jason Garrett. But at the same time, uh, I don't think that it's going to be just awful. Like. I mean, I don't know how they can be any worse than they've been recently. So it surprises me a little bit that Witten didn't end up there. It just feels like way more suited to what he is able to do, and way more for his. Maybe that's why he didn't go there because he wanted to be uncomfortable and wanted to stretch his ability a little bit. But you know, I, I totally see him in a run-heavy offense with Jason Garrett calling plays because Jason Garrett knows what he can do well and. Uh, maybe it's the fact that it is the Giants, and we would have felt like that would have been a slight to the Cowboys to go to a, t- a direct rival right like that. Maybe that yeah. had something to do with it, but it seems like way more likely that he would succeed there than he would in in Oakland with a, a number one tight end, Pro Bowl tight end already in place. Basically, you know, I just I don't see it, but that's in, that's maybe a topic for another day. I had a dream though, KT. Um, I actually had a dream that I was fighting with somebody on Twitter about Dak. And Uh-oh. I'll talk about the topic on a on a later episode, but basically somebody asked me about Dak and I replied with a scenario like about Dak and and what his his ultimate fate could be with the Cowboys. Which I'm excited to talk about and get you guys' thoughts on that. So yeah. we'll save that for another week. Put a pin in that one. Absolutely. No, I can't wait for that. That'll be a good time as well. And obviously, if anything happens, we will be here for you on About Them Cowboys. For producer and documentarian. Is that a is that a word? Documentarian? documentarian? I think it is. It is now. Yeah. yeah, we'll just go with it. If it's not, you know, sue me. Uh, that's Kent Garrison. Um, so, yeah, shout out to Kent, at Kent Garrison uh, on Twitter. Give him a follow. Uh, follow. Also, Father John It's a word. Mishota. It's official. It's a word. Yeah! It's a word. Sorry. <laughs> at John Mashota uh, on Twitter as well. Keep following his work on The Athletic. I am Kevin Turner, and we will talk to you next time on another edition of About Them Cowboys. Mm-hmm.